Hi, and welcome to On Point, a podcast by Oak Street Funding, where we bring research and data-backed insights to dig into the minds of industry leaders to learn how to stand out, to navigate, and to break through this ever-changing industry. I'm your host, Bridget Height, and you can support this podcast by following us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, on our website, or wherever you get your podcasts. We will be there hanging out, talking to industry leaders, and ready to empower you to grow your business. Now let's get on point. Today, I am happy to have Jim Rowe, President and CEO of Arlington Rowe, a managing general agency and wholesale insurance broker headquartered here in Indianapolis. As a business owner since 1987, Jim has successfully navigated many disruptions that challenged his company. Jim, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. You look so happy. I am happy. I'm happy well, to be here. I, I need to get happier here too. But thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Let's. I want to hear all about your business. So um, let's talk about Arlington Row. The company actually began nearly a decade before you began helping your father. Can you tell us about the very start of your business? Well, actually, my dad started the business off the kitchen table in 1964. His older brother, Norman Rowe, my dad was number two of seven, was the number two guy at Foremost Insurance Company in Grand Rapids, Michigan. They specialized in mobile home insurance. My dad worked for a couple standard insurance companies here in Indianapolis, and he asked the company presidents, or or told them a couple times, that mobile home insurance was really lucrative, and I think at the time they actually called it trailer insurance. Mm -hmm. But um, he was trying to convince the presidents of the companies to get in the business. And they said, what are you nuts? Those things blow away and burn. So uh, he thought he was uh, he knew there was an opportunity as a wholesale broker. So he left his job. He had to turn his car in. He came home one day in August of 1964 and said, Ruth, I quit my job. So five kids in a three bedroom ranch house over by uh, Devington Shopping Center. I don't know if you know where that is, but uh, in any event, we're about six blocks away from Arlington Avenue. So he called it Arlington Insurance Agency. And he started a business from scratch. I think his first month he made $26.32. That's not a lot of money to feed a family of seven. But that's how he got his start with his 1949 DeSoto. That's the only car we had. And uh, he needed a little bit of help when he was out traveling. So I became his first assistant at age 13. It's not really what I wanted to do. (laughs) But they paid me 25 cents an hour to type insurance policies on an old Underwood typewriter. Uh, I didn't think he was paying me enough, but I didn't factor in. I was getting free room and board. But, uh, (laughs) But that's how I got my start in this business. And that's how he started our firm. Great story. Um, well, moving on from there, and, and now unfortunately your father passed away and you became the sole owner. So can you talk us through that transition? Well, actually give you a little bit more background. So mm-hmm. I worked all the way through high school and college for my dad. We finally moved out of the house in 1968. I wanted to go on to, to law school. He was still trying to grow the company. He was trying to put uh, his other kids through college as well. And uh, so I thought he didn't have the money, 
sent me through law school. I didn't have the money. So I thought, I'll just work for my dad for a few years and save up enough money to go to law school. By the way, that was 1972. I'm still trying to save up enough money to go to law school. <laughs> but I thought, why in the world would I want to study that hard? Why don't I just hire one? So we have a lawyer on staff now. Nice. But uh, then I started working with my dad in 1972 full time. I think we had four, three or four employees then. So from 1964, when he started to 1980, when I came in, we grew from zero to 1.3 million in premium. That's kind of how we we grade ourselves or keep track. In 1987, unfortunately, day after Christmas in 87, my dad was on the golf course. He really liked to play golf. And it was one of those nice, warm winter days. And he was out on the golf course. Uh, as the story goes, he, on a par three, hit the ball about three feet from the cup took about 10 steps and dropped. Had a massive heart attack and uh, told a lot of people this, we didn't get a chance to say goodbye, but we didn't have to watch him lay in bed for weeks and months yeah. and, and uh, really suffer. So that was a difficult time. Yeah. And I know we'll talk a little bit more about that, but uh, at that point in time, we were seven and a half million in premiums. So we were able to grow it from a little over a million dollars to seven and a half million in 2022, and we're right at 260 million in premium. So wow. we've been able to grow from 1.3 million to 260 million. So it's been nice growth. That's great. So I have a question about um, the. Tr can you tell me a little bit about that transition, that time when out right after your father passed, and it was and it fell to you. Yeah, it was difficult. I was pretty much leading and running the company at that point in time. He was really doing some of our back office work. So in terms of disruption internally with with um, uh, losing the work that he did, it really wasn't that disruptive. It was more of a financial situation. So as I mentioned, we're 50-50 partners. We had right. a shareholders agreement. What that meant was the company was responsible for buying the stock of either uh, either one of us, either the shareholders in the event that we we died. Well, we bought life insurance on me. We didn't buy life insurance on him because he had a little bout with prostate cancer. And so that increased his premium table. And uh, it would have cost around $25,000 a year for the life insurance we needed. And at that point in time, we weren't that big. And plus I said, dad, I don't want you to die. I want you to retire. Where's the money from that come from? It comes out of the business, out of the, the growth of the business. So, but uh, you typically you can't buy insurance after the house already burns. Right. So uh, that was a decision that uh, we decided to make, but it turned out okay. That was a tough time yeah. for me personally because I'm trying to grow the business. I'm trying to put kids through private education. Um, I'm trying to uh, pay all of our people and grow new people. It, it was a difficult time, but it worked out. Um, now, you, you you spoke about your two eldest sons uh, joining the business. And I was curious, I, have um, what has that been like, having your sons alongside you? Well, it actually, neither one of them wanted to be in the business. And, uh, <laughs> it sounds like familiar, me. like you. Yeah, yes. like me. You know, who wants to be in the insurance business? Uh, although uh, we heavily recruit now from insurance schools, but back then there weren't insurance schools. 
you landed in the insurance business because you couldn't find another job. So Andy wanted to be in communications. Uh, Patrick graduated graduated with a kinesiology degree. Uh-huh. I still don't know what that is, but <laughs> but uh, he hasn't done any work in that area. But I, I encourage both of them, you know, go find another job, but then come in here and I'll teach you the insurance business. So they've been on a growth pattern in the business just like uh, I was. But I realized pretty quickly when I joined my dad after school, after I graduated from Indiana, in 1972, when I walked in the door, one of the ladies quit. And I asked her, why, did, why are you quitting? She said, I don't know who you are and I don't know what you're going to do. And after I talked a little bit about my vision and how I want to grow the company and all that, she said, I, I've changed my mind. I want to stay. Mm-hmm. I said, you know, I, I'd love for you to stay, but you can't. You've already committed to another job and that's not fair to them if you were not to go there. So I said, tell you what, you go there, and if things don't work out, then give me a call. She never called me back, either because it worked out in the new job, or she might have been too embarrassed to call me back. Well, it was generous either way. But, uh, but that's what, what my boys, uh, when they came in, I said, you guys have got to get the respect from everybody in this organization. You can't, in fact, I told them there are two rules that apply to your job. Number one, you don't report to me. And number two, don't use your last name in the business. <laughs> don't be telling people your dad owns a company. You have to gain the respect from everybody because of your hard work and, and the trust that you gain. Mm. The company has expanded considerably, as you said, since you became the sole owner. I'm curious as to what is your hiring policy? What is your hiring philosophy? Well, I'll hire anybody that that uh, wants a job. I uh, was coming back from lunch one day and uh, opened the elevator doors open. There's a young lady there on on the elevator. And I said, can I help you? You look lost. And she said, well, I'm trying to get a job and I'm going up to the 12th floor and uh, then I'll work my way down. And I gave her my business card and I said, when you get to eight, give me a call because I'd like to talk to you. Well, she never showed up on eight either because she thought I was a weirdo or maybe she got a job (laughs) between nine and 12. But um, uh, that's one of the things that I've always looked at and and we're always talking to people is how can we find talent? We can teach insurance. We can't teach speed and we can't teach hard work and intelligence. So uh, we're always open to bring people in and then find the right seat for them on our our bus in in our company. So to piggyback on that, what is your growth strategy? What what has worked to get you where you are today? Well, it's about bringing talent in when they're available. Typically, when people are looking for something, then we don't have to compete on price. We don't have to pay a whole lot more money uh, for people because they're not as happy in their current environment. And you guys have probably heard about the, the great resignation oh, yeah. that's going on. Well, um, trying to compete and and you just increase the the dollars all the time uh, as we all know people long term money is not the most important thing uh, the primary reason by the way we're in business isn't to make a profit it's to serve others it's to help others with their financial needs and we're in the insurance business so in the event somebody has a tragedy whether it be somebody that dies although we're not in the the life insurance area were strictly property casualty, 
But if your building burns down, if you have a, a windstorm, if you have a financial crisis, a lawsuit, that's the reason that we're there. Mm -hmm. You buy insurance in the event that something bad happens to you. So that's the reason that we're in business primarily is to help others in the event of a financial need. If we work hard and we're good at what we do and we specialize in different areas, we'll be successful, we'll make a profit. That's our strategy. Makes sense. So what do you think your leadership style is? Well, I wrote down a few, um, a few words that, <laughs> that I think might apply to me. Collaborative, consultative, people-oriented, if you haven't figured that out, and that's where my son Christopher gets that, I think. Uh, open door policy, transparent. Um, in my office currently, I have two, a double door. So I like to tell people that I not only have an open door policy, I have a two door open door policy. That's one of the reasons, by the way, if you walked in my office, you'd see paper all over the place. <laughs> uh, we are a paperless company, except for my office. But I talk to people all day long because that's our business right. is dealing with people. Um, so what are your aspirations for the future of Arlington Hill? We want to continue to grow. Yeah. And there are so many of our peers in the business that are being acquired. And a lot of it has to do with the lack of a perpetuation strategy or lack of people. Uh, the key for growth is, is just continue because as I continue to grow the company, whatever role I can have, I help the people that work with me the opportunity to help them and their families be successful. And my oldest granddaughter, Julia, Andy's oldest, is going to be 16 years old in a couple months. I'd love to see her come in the business and perpetuate us into the fourth generation and other grandchildren as well. But how can we take what we've been able to, to be successful at and share that with everybody in our organization? Because I feel responsible not just for the people that work there, but for their families as well. If we continue to grow the company like that, we'll continue to be successful and uh, people will want to work for us, I think. And we'll con I'll continue to have two to three calls a week from people that want to buy us. <laughs> that means that we must be worth something. Yep. Well, if we're worth something to them, that means we're worth something more to us. Let's keep it growing. So looking back, what would you do differently? If you could go back to 1987 as the new owner of the company, is there anything that you would have done differently? Well, as I said, I would have bought insurance, life yes. insurance on my yes. dad. That was a tough time. But uh, uh, no, I don't think I would have done anything differently because we, we just continue to grow. And uh, scale is important when you have the right people, you have enough people, mm -hmm. you're making money, you can afford to put more money into technology. And that's the thing I've always tried to do is reinvest the money that we make into people, into technology, into basically uh, the, the ability to serve and help other people. Great. So so what, what do you think has been the best part of owning your business? The best part of owning a business is doing exactly this kind of thing. Oh, really? Because I can be influential, I hope, on other people and other people's lives. 
and you're looking at me right now, your eyes are wide open, you're smiling, <laughs> you're either liking what I'm saying or you think I'm goofier than, than No, anything. I can tell you're happy to be here. Which is yeah, I'm real happy to be here, but what kind of influence can I have on other people? And I love dealing with people because that's our business. Our business is the business of trying to help people in the event they have a problem. And uh, we need to find out what that problem is. What's the need? The biggest question we can ask our customers is, what bad do you think can happen to you? Think about what your risks are and how you would respond to that. So you either need to eliminate those exposures, eliminate those risks, or you can offload them to somebody else, insurance. That's what insurance is all about. Peace of mind. So peace of mind, exactly. So dealing with people, is, is what I, I think is most enjoyable. And uh, uh, one of the questions might be, what is, uh, what is the most difficult thing you have? Well, it's dealing with people, yes. dealing with difficult people. <laughs> so, uh, and, and actually one of the biggest issues I face, this may seem a, a little interesting, but how do I pay me? How do I pay me and my family members? Because uh, most of us, when we were growing up, uh, especially when I was, uh, my dad started the business. We didn't have a whole lot of money. I saw my mom after she was making dinner for everybody. She served everybody else. She was the last person to eat. Hopefully there was something left over for her. Not that I, uh, you know, you can look at me, you know, I'm not starving or anything, <laughs> but uh, that's what's critical is how do I pay everybody else first? And I hope there's something left over for me. We occasionally have, have uh, fire drills in our building. We're in the eighth floor, 12th floor, 12 uh, story building. And uh, I've been told that I have to get out as quickly as possible. And when we do these fire drills, and I said, I'm not leaving until everybody else is out. So um, if I don't come back, you know, it's like the general at the top of the hill when you yell charge. If the general just sits up there and, and uh, watches everybody else go to battle, uh, that's not the right leader. Leadership is, I tell my number two, hey, I'm going down to fight. I'm going to be in the battle. If I don't show up, then you are you take charge. Well, this has been enlightening. Thank you so much. I have one last question. What is your favorite book and why would you recommend it to a friend? Well, actually, I'm not real big on reading books. <laughs> I, I haven't read a novel in since college. <laughs> I read business books, but the way I read them is I read the table of contents. I read the first chapter and I read the last chapter. And if there's anything that's in there that I might buy the book and, and, uh, and page through the rest of it. Uh, I've been known to read three or four books in an airport in the bookstore in between flights <laughs> because I, I uh, skim through it because I'm looking for ideas. But probably my favorite business, favorite business book goes back to the late 80s, early 90s, talking about disruption. There's a book out there called The Contrarian Manager. And this was about a, a business that was failing and they had a union in there and the president and owner of the business called everybody together. I think there are three or 400 people and said, we can either shut this down and we all lose our jobs or we can find a way to work together to make this a successful business. And everybody agreed to take pay cuts so they could stay in there in that company and they grew the business into a very successful business. Uh, that's 
doing things differently, not doing it according to oil or according to the book, but let's find a way to all work together. And that's why I have to be open to listen. What do you think we ought to do? Know your job. You know your job better than I know it. What do you think we should do? And let's then, my job is the chief aggregator of all that business. And I'm a, I've tried to be a real consensus builder because when you build consensus, when everybody agrees, then everybody claps hands and breaks and goes out and does their job. And you come back every once in a while, you call a timeout and you come back every once in a while and say, where are we? Are we, are we where we thought we'd be according to the plan or we do we need to modify it a little bit? Well, thank you, Jim. It's been so lovely having you and I can't wait to talk to you more. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for smiling so much. <laughs> thank you all for listening to On Point, a podcast by Oak Street Funding, where we bring research and data-backed insights to dig into the minds of industry leaders to learn how to stand out, navigate, and break through this ever-changing industry. I'm Bridget Hyde, and tune in next time, wherever you listen to podcasts, to hear Paul LaRue of Whipley discuss modern leadership lessons. We'll see you then as we get on point. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review.